Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Well, as you know, Maria, Senator Grassley and I have reviewed a legally protected and highly credible whistleblower document, which alleges that there was an exchange of money for policy decisions made by then Vice President Joe Biden. We uh, have determined that whistleblower is extremely credible. And based on the bank records that I've been getting and you and I have been talking about on your show for weeks now, and based on the fact that nine different Biden family members have been receiving payments from a web of LLCs that are receiving payments from our adversaries around the world, this fits a pattern of uh, questionable behavior that the Biden family members have been doing to receive funds. So uh, we take this whistleblower claim very seriously. We know it exists. We know the FBI has the document. As Senator Grassley said, it is not classified. So we want that document in our possession. And we also want to know what the FBI did to verify the claim of the whistleblower. That is the single most important part of the story. And the one that I'm most thankful for from Representative Comer. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Cinco de Mayo, Derby weekend. My gosh, what isn't going on? A lot of things happening. I want to know, as you want to know, what is it that the FBI knows? If you have a whistleblower who makes a claim, and it's not just any claim, that you know that Joe Biden was taking money from a foreign national to provide policy, advice, and possibly decisions? That's bribery. I mean, that's that's just clear cut, right? We, 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 we would give no other definition to the word. Did you investigate it? And if you didn't investigate it, may I ask the question of what good or worth is the FBI. If you didn't investigate it, well then what exactly did you do with such information? Hey, listen, we got a whistleblower here. He, he sent in the information that, uh, and you you guys got the file, uh, that uh, Biden was uh, given access for cash when he was vice president. Did you look at it and go, huh? Who wants lunch? Chinese today? What did you do with it? That's a, that is the key question. If we are to be believers or have any faith, as we have often discussed, in the institutions, well, the institutions have to do the job regardless of who's in power. And if nobody did the job here, if nobody even looked here, if nobody even tried here, then what do we have? The Republican Party should not let go of this story for half a second. I don't care what Joe Biden has to say. Oh, it never happened. Who cares what you think? You think I'm going to listen to a guy who isn't going to the coronation of King Charles? You know he's not going, right? 
This whole weekend, it's happening. It's a pretty big deal. They don't have themselves a... They don't, they don't crown a new monarch every day. I mean, it's a big thing. Joe Biden's not going. Joe Biden's going to go. Joe Biden is staying at home. And I would like for someone to explain to me why. It's obvious to anybody paying attention, anybody who reads, whether it's Jim Garrity over at National Review and the Washington Post, or whether it's Politico or Axios, Joe Biden works six hours a day. He doesn't do morning uh, uh, meetings. He's not up for them. He can't handle it. He doesn't do evening meetings. His day is already done. Uh I would argue not being a doctor, not having in any way uh, done any bit of uh, of uh, analysis of the man, uh, there is such a thing as sundowning. Do you guys know what sundowning is? I'll allow me uh, to, to, to help you. Um, it is, as described, a neurological phenomenon. Uh, and it is... When the day is kind of done, the daylight begins to fade, there's a restlessness, there's an irritability that happens in people of a certain age or with certain issues. I couldn't tell you that that's officially what's happening with Joe Biden. I could tell you if Axios and uh, the National Review are both going to share stories about how he doesn't work in the morning, he doesn't work in the evening, he doesn't work on weekends... I can ask out loud, is that sundowning? Because uh, I've known plenty of people, seen it with my own eyes, uh, where you know the day is over and I uh, can't really concentrate, can't really think, etc. And weekends, well, you know, weekends are for ice cream. Right? I'm not trying to, you know, diminish what these things are, because there's a whole conversation that exists with sundowning and associations to Alzheimer's or dementia. And there are people who really deal with these things. I am not diminishing that stuff at all. I'm asking a question that goes to the mental cognitive abilities or the, or the mental uh, fitness and the cognitive abilities of the president of the United States. And I believe him not going to the coronation adds to the questions. And there's nothing wrong with asking the questions. The questions are indeed necessary. The issues with the Bidens not going anywhere. And not only does that affect Joe, but of course, we're talking about Hunter. There's a story that states that the White House is reportedly worried, quote-unquote, over Hunter Biden going rogue. This is a report at Axios, which y- you got to admit, uh, every now and then, they're, like, they're, they're doing a better job at breaking news. The story is scoop inside Hunter Biden's clash with the White House. Top aides to President Biden have clashed with Hunter Biden's team, his legal team, over strategies for dealing with the legal battles and Republican attacks that surround the president's son. I want to place a bet. Can I do that? Is it is that allowed? Well, it's my show. I guess I can, I can do anything I want, so might as well do that. 
Is the Biden is the Joe Biden team worried that Hunter Biden would sell out his father in order to avoid jail time? Let me let me say it a little bit differently, and then you can make the call. Is the Joe Biden team concerned that a former and possibly current drug addict who cannot get his life together, who is under multiple uh, bits of legal scrutiny, never mind the idea of the felony committed by purchasing a firearm by lying on a federal form and having an out-of-wedlock daughter that he refuses to recognize, would that guy cut a deal that implicates his father and skewers, flat-out skewers the opportunity for re-election in 2024. What is hell yes, Alec? Well, it's not Alec, it's Alex, and Alex has passed, so I got What is hell yes, Mayim? I like Mayim Bialik, but just not as the host of the show. Oh, and I just get rid of Ken Jennings altogether. There's there's somebody out there who can host Jeopardy. It's just not them. And I like Mayim Bialik quite a bit. Super smart. Really interesting. I'm asking if that's the question. I believe that answer is hell yes. That Hunter Biden would absolutely do it. Hunter did not check with uh, the president's people. Hired uh, a lawyer, Abby Lowell, in December as part of a plan to be much more combative than um, had previously taken place. Hunter's team, according to Axios, wanting to create a legal defense fund, hiring ethics advisors for it. And Democrats are worried about the idea of the president's son soliciting money to pay for his legal troubles. Yeah, yeah, it looks bad. And I don't know why he has to solicit money. I mean, he's selling all that artwork. There is a uh, guy by the name of Anthony Coley, former top spokesperson for the Justice Department. He was a senior advisor to the Attorney General Merrick Garland, and his quote is, for this fund to work, it must be extraordinarily transparent and even restrictive by prohibiting foreign citizens and registered lobbyists from contributing. Well, what are the odds? What are the odds Hunter Biden will create a legal defense fund that won't have Chinese or Ukrainian or other lobbyist dollars. What is no chance in hell, Mayim? See, I got it right that time. Good on, good on me. No chance. Like, that's a, that's a super awesome quote. I don't care who you are. Once you hear that, you're like, oh, yeah, there's no way. If he's going to try and collect dollars from you, me, and we, you know there's going to be some shady cash. But there you know it, you know it, you know it, I know it, we both know it. What are we talking about? They know it. His team knows it. This goes back to the Obama team being concerned about Hunter Biden and wanting to be at arm's length with him because they knew he couldn't be trusted. They talked about it then. And they tried to bring it to Joe, remember? Joe, your son this, Joe, your son that. And he said, I can't talk to you right now. I just lost Bo. Bo Biden was a son, brain cancer, and died. It's an absolutely horrible story. And my words then 
when hearing about those those conversations that were never allowed was if if the loss of your son so affected you that you couldn't have a conversation, you should not have been vice president of the United States. You should have resigned. I said it then. I meant it then. I mean it now. I'm not going to tell the man not to mourn. That's nuts. I'm going to tell him he can't be vice president. They came to him and they came to him and they came to him and Joe Biden didn't want to hear anything of it. He knew exactly what his son Hunter was doing because he knows what his son Hunter is. And that's got to be horrible. You know, they've played some of the, the voicemails that, that Joe Biden has left for his son. I, I love you and, and we're, we're going to get through this and you can do this. And you've got a son who's an addict. It, it, it doesn't change. The pain's real. Right? The pain is real. And you want what's best for your kid. Still your kid. It doesn't change. But everybody gets it. Everybody gets that Hunter Biden might very well just protect Hunter Biden and not worry about the rest. Let everybody else deal with the fallout as long as he stays out of jail. Oh, oh yeah. I would bet it all on that final Jeopardy question. I'm Tony Katz. There's a lot of problems on the Supreme Court, and I would note that trust in the Supreme Court is the lowest it's been. It had a 20% drop in, two, in the last two years. Mm-hmm. So at a time when we talk about the importance of democracy, one of our co-equal branches of government, the judiciary, where we look at the Supreme Court and people don't trust it, that's a problem. Marbury versus Madison notwithstanding, maybe we've just... I, honestly, it, we, there should be there should be the death penalty for any website that allows autoplay. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. Was that too soon? Was that too soon? I'm just saying. It's got to stop. It's got to come to an end. A lot of talk about the Supreme Court. And specifically, Clarence Thomas. He's unethical. He has to recuse himself. He has to resign. He has a relationship with a guy by the name of Harlan Crow, And, 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 and he uh, uh, took vacations from Harlan Crow. All true. He and Harlan Crow, as National Review writes the story, actually helped uh, a, a homeless woman uh, lead a better life. I just had a hiccup. Let me get back to Clarence Thomas. Because Clarence Thomas is under the gun for having this relationship that's totally fine. It wasn't a sexual relationship. He took vacations from a guy. You could say, hey, he shouldn't do that. But the idea that he did something beyond the pale... The idea he did something against the rules of the Supreme Court, none of that is true. Absolutely, positively, no part of that is true. He did not violate any rules whatsoever. It is the the political left that's desirous of destroying the man that wants to say what he did is criminal, what he did is awful, what he did is terrible. They want to destroy him. They've always wanted to destroy Clarence Thomas. How dare you be black and a conservative? That's what—that's the crime he's guilty of, according to them. Enter the ladies of The View, who start talking like this. 
But there's a number of cases we had, um, you know, Justice Sotomayor failed to disclose six trips funded by outside groups. She did later revise it. Um, she and Gorsuch were paid by Pe uh, Penguin Random House when they were considering taking up a case by that publisher. Alina Kagan didn't um, recuse herself from something involving Harvard Law School, even though she was the prior dean. It's I only say that a lot of Democrats, but how about I mentioned John, Gorsuch yes, as well. and John Roberts' wife. John Roberts' wife. Yeah, I actually have that That's right like here. Ten million dollars. The point being this is they we cannot expect them to self-police. I also in federal government had to file a financial disclosure. I had time. to adhere to ethics. But it's done, it's kind of a good faith system. It's basically yeah. you self-report and people clearly are not doing that. I would say there should be an outside entity that should have to oversee mm -hmm. because Congress is not the person. Yeah, but Congress the, is the problem and this is what I mean by that. Right. It is more consequential what Congress does every day. They make the laws. They do not have to explain themselves in, a, in, a, in an opinion piece where they have mm -hmm. to show their work as to how right. they got there. They are involved with lobbying. It's like mm -hmm. horse trading. Congress has to explain themselves every two years or every six years. But it's so nice that they noted all of the members, Republicans and Democrats, who have taken a gift here and a gift there, including Sonia Sotomayor, who was taking money, $3 million from Penguin Random House, when she was looking at cases involving the publisher and did not recuse herself from the cases. She took the cases, did not recuse herself. Millions and millions of dollars. But it gets better. You know, you pay me this and I'll just legislate that. They can bring up anything they want. Congress is the problem here, which is why I don't they think it's a coincidence that Matt Gates and AOC, those names together should make everyone's ears perk up, are now bringing legislation about barring stock trading among Congress. The dirty money lives deep and dark in Congress. And that's why they're bringing it up now, because guess who's next when these headlines kind of wane out? Congress. And so I think right now it's kind of like guests are coming over and we're cleaning the attic rather than the living room. Congress is where we need but to be focused. I, I, well, let me, let me just say something. It's nice, it's nice to see Republicans for a change defending a black man. Um, <laughs> the problem with Clarence Thomas, no matter how the, problem, the problem with Clarence Thomas is not that he's a black man, it's that he's got a sugar daddy and he's on the Supreme Court. Yeah. If you ever wanted to know whether Anna Navarro was a racist, there you go. See, Republicans are racist because they don't defend black men. You're right. Republicans haven't been defending Clarence Thomas for the past 30 years. But it's Clarence Thomas who has a sugar daddy. The bigotry of these liberal women. I'll tell you what. It is something to behold. But the whole case against Clarence Thomas has fallen apart. And the left is pretty angry about it. But if you want to tell me we're going to eliminate stock trading, I can't wait to see the legislation. Love to hear what it's all about. Why is California eliminating jobs? And why do they want to bring their job elimination and free speech elimination to the federal level? That story's up next. I'm Tony Katz. We see a lot of people in a, in a lot of places somehow think that they know best. 
They know better than the rest of us how our lives uh, should be led. They know better than the rest of us how we should act and how we should react. They know whether or not we should have gas stoves or have a, a car that has a combustion engine. They always seem to know what's best for us. And it's amazing to watch places like California continually invest in this argument, this anti-American, anti-pursuit of happiness, anti-freedom argument. And how successful they were with AB5, so successful, in fact, that they now want to bring it to the rest of the country with the PRO Act. Yeah, it's making its way back. Thank goodness Republicans have control of the House. But now you know why it's so important. Guys, welcome to the show. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. Casey Maddox joins us right now. He is actually the vice president for legal and judicial strategy at Americans for Prosperity. And that's not why I, I brought you on the show. That's, uh, my, my deal with AFP is, is quite clear on the sponsorship. But you had the right article, man. It's something we've been discussing for a while. Gavin Newsom shouldn't get to decide which businesses survive, and neither should Congress. It's an article you have, a piece you have up at americansforprosperity.org. Get everybody caught up, Casey. Talk to me about what AB5 was in California and what its real-world effects were. Absolutely. And and thanks for having me on, Tony. So, uh, AB5 uh, and now the PRO Act that, uh, that some folks are, are trying to push in Congress is basically a law that says that, um, that would eliminate what's called the gig economy, right? Which is basically uh, where people are able to, um, you know, be Uber drivers and Uber Eats and, and all these sorts of things that people are, uh, are able to do um, without having to go work for a traditional employer uh, and have a, a traditional employment relationship. People have figured out that there's a lot of ways that we can do uh, that we can do work, and so, and that's you know really freed a whole lot of people to be able to um, to make ends meet and be able to um, you know to do the things to be able to have the, the kind of uh, work life that they want to be able to have. California didn't like that. California wants to force everybody into one system for how we're going to uh, to uh, to work, and that system is basically now you got to work for somebody. Uh, you need to work for an employer, and that employer needs to. Uh, to have a, a system for uh, for how we're we're going to do work, and so so they passed AB five to basically do that, to sort of force everyone into that uh, kind of traditional employment relationship, um, and and then uh, of course they realized that uh, well there are problems with that, uh, there are reasons why, and particularly there are problems because there are powerful constituencies that could lobby for an exemption, so you have AB five that sort of sets this you know, we're going to have one way that everybody has to work rule. Um, but then they have like a hundred different exemptions. And those exemptions are basically, um, if you are a powerful enough uh, lobby to say, whoa, 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 timeout doesn't work for, uh, for our people, then you get exempted. Um, and if you weren't a powerful enough lobby, then you're not exempted. And so that's the, that's sort of the, well, uh, the situation in California now. And it basically could become the situation nationally. So we see that w w with the banks. If you're connected to the, to the right people, yeah. you get a bailout. But if we don't think you create systemic risk, well, then you're you-know-what right. out of luck. And that's why people are pulling deposits from smaller regional banks in, into larger banks. But take a step back with me here. This is about unions, AB5. What was yeah. done was put forth as the idea that if you wanted to, let's say, 
write for, let's say, Tony Katz. You want to write for TonyKatz.com. Uh, I couldn't actually hire you in California to do freelance work right. because I'm not offering you full-time work plus benefits, and you're not a part of a union. In the end, it wasn't about all the other things. It was about you as a citizen stroking a check for union dues. True or false? Yeah, I mean, that's that's basically true. Look, I mean, this this is a... California is trying to create a situation where you filter everyone into a situation that, that um, or into a work situation that sort of pushes you into a union and, and, and empowers those unions. Um, and, you know, uh, so then they start creating these exceptions to those rules. Um, and, you know, you have the exceptions sort of uh, make it so that the, the law doesn't even make sense on its own terms. Um, and, and that's kind of what we're left with. And, you know, fundamentally, you have, uh, I mean, there are a whole lot of problems with this, right? But fundamentally, you end up with free speech problems, like uh, the, the situation I was writing about here, where um, if you're going door to door, and you're trying to sell things door to door in California, well, right. then you're exempted from AB5. You can totally do that. You can go be an Amway salesman. You can do whatever door to door in California. You don't have to go, um, you know, be in a traditional employment relationship to do that. But if you want to knock doors and actually advocate for a political candidate, well, that's no longer marketing. Uh, that's a different thing. And you're not exempted. If you want to go knock doors uh, for, for political candidates, um, then you need to work for the man. Uh, you need to, to, to have a, um, a sort of unionizable job um, in California. That doesn't make any sense, right? It's exactly the same thing. You're just you're advocating for something else. Are you advocating to sell something? Well, then you're fine. If you're advocating... Uh, for political speech, then uh, that's a different thing. And that's a fundamental First Amendment problem where the government is is saying, well, the, the rules depend upon what you're saying. That's a fundamental First Amendment problem that California has. Talking to Casey Maddox, Vice President for Legal and Judicial Strategy at Americans for Prosperity. Uh, one of the things that you, you write about is when this came into effect in, in, in 2019, or it was passed into law in 2019. It came into effect, Casey, in 2020. How did it affect the California economy between when it went into effect and now? Yeah, I mean, well, California has not been doing great, right? Um, you know, I think there's a uh, there's it's uh, well established the, the problems that California has had. And, and I think that is, uh, you know, it, at least partly attributable um, to this problem. When you make it difficult for people to be able to work and to be able to, to earn a living, um, you know, the 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 impacts are are obvious. And that's I think that's, uh, you know, California has gotten part of what it uh, what it asked for out of this. You make it hard for people to work. It turns out that that's difficult for your economy. Um now let's 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 move it forward a little bit, Casey, uh, because uh, you talk about in the article that among the losers are free speech, and certainly it, it, you you talk about it from the political side. But how about the idea that I want to be a part time bartender uh, for weddings? Right, it's a great place to pick up chicks. I'm totally in. I'm done. I'm good. I want this in my life. AB five said no. You don't get the opportunity to do that. You don't have the opportunity to earn some extra scratch. Isn't that also a free speech violation? Yeah, I mean, there's, there are free speech problems all the way through this law, right? I, I mean, the, 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 the case here is mobilize the message, and, you know, it's, it's sort of obvious when you're dealing with, uh, with those situations. But, yeah, I mean, we filed a brief before um, in the, the prior version uh, of this case where, look, this is a, having implications across um, you know, writers and bloggers and, and certainly situations like that where, 
um, you know, uh, kind of uh, kind of the, the broader work world, um, when government is picking winners and losers, and particularly when it's picking and winners, winners and losers based on what you're saying, that's a fundamental First Amendment problem. Now we get into the part two of this case. He's talking to Casey Maddox, Vice President of Legal and Judicial Strategy for Americans for Prosperity. As you discuss, there's something called the PRO Act, which is the idea of taking AB5 and bringing it to a national level. Who is pushing this forth? Is it Gavin Newsom reaching out to uh, U.S. senators saying, hey, this is awesome. You should totally do this. Was this other Democrat seeing this and saying, you know what? We absolutely are desperate to curtail the rights of people. And as a follow-up, do they get that they're curtailing rights or does pushing the union come before all things? Well, I mean, you know, uh, so you have members of Congress from California that are, uh, of course, strongly supportive of AB5 and trying to push to, uh, to, uh, to bring California's experience to the rest of the country. Um, but, it, you know, as you said, this is also a, um, uh, an issue driven by uh, people who want to be able to secure, um, uh, to sort of funnel people into traditional work relationships where they can then unionize uh, people and push them into those union relationships, right? So, um, and, and kind of fund the causes that they want to fund through those, uh, you know, through those unions. And so, uh, certainly that's, you know, that's a, a big driver of this, uh, that sort of nationwide effort um, uh, to, to try to push people into one way of working so that you can connect them uh, to, uh, to unions, which can then collect funds and be able to use that for political causes that people want to, to use them for. So as you see this playing through, this doesn't get through a Republican House. I, I think that, that's right. pretty obvious. But even with losing the House of Representatives, as Democrats did in the midterms, they don't seem to be, um, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, stymied, uh, Casey. They don't seem to be like, all right, maybe we won't push on this. They seem desperate to keep this going. Are there no Democrats out there at all who have said, you know what, this is a really really terrible idea this is a loser politically we should be we should not be in favor of this we shouldn't even be bringing this up at all well i you know i think this is they need to hear from people around the country i mean we have a uh, a place on our website you can go and get connected uh to just communicate with members of your members of congress and let them know that you're opposed uh to these plans that would make it harder for people to work um I, they need to hear that message uh, and, you know, don't take for granted uh, that people are going to be, um, you know, understanding the problems with this. I think they need to we need to make sure that they're hearing from people who would be uh, negatively impacted by this. And that's frankly anybody. Uh, I mean, it, it's, it's all of us. Right. Because we all are benefiting from uh, from a gig economy that allows people to um, to you know, go and do um, small time jobs and to be able to do Uber Eats and all these other things. Right. That. Uh, are an important part of the the life we're all living now, especially in a post-COVID world, right? Yeah. Uh, we've all sort of gotten more used to um, that sort of effort. Um, and in the current economy, frankly, uh, you know, all of us need to to, to figure out ways that we can, um, uh, you know, have sort of the side hustles, right? Um, and so I, I think, you know, I, I would encourage people to, to reach out through our website, contact members of Congress, and let them know 
that you're opposed uh, to the PRO Act, because I, I think there is going to be a, uh, there, I mean, there's certainly going to be people who are continuing to push this narrative uh, and sort of Californianize the rest of the country. Let's talk for a moment uh, about unions. Uh, talking to Casey Maddox, Vice President of Legal and Judicial Strategy at AmericansForProsperity.org. Let, let's talk this union talk just for a moment to get maybe a better understanding of the strength because it, it seems pretty obvious uh, that unions have an incredible stronghold on the political left and and get, you got to get the unions on board I and mean, if there isn't a union endorsement that's the big story as if the union endorsement is de facto always always going to happen and we see the the, the size of of teachers unions in Chicago we talk about union strength in California as you are Casey uh, the the question is, is it possible to break the unions? Clearly, this talk in California is about growing unions. But the questions that we discuss, especially when we talk about things in education, is how do we break the unions? Even the conversation about police unions, if they're going to be protecting bad cops, there's conversations about we need to put an end to this union so we can maybe get to the meat of the matter. In your experience, exactly how strong are these unions and how beholden is the Democratic Party or any political party yeah. to them? Yeah, you know, I, I think the uh, it, it depends upon uh, depends upon the area. Right. And I think people have become very uh, attuned recently to the, the problem of public sector unions, especially. And you, you talk about teachers unions and, and things like that. I think that's a, um, a, a an enormous problem because it's, um, you know, in, in uh, sort of directly, um, you know, unionizing the people who are the public servants, uh, and that raises a, a whole, whole separate set of problems. Um, but you know, look, fundamentally, it's a question of compulsion. Um, if you, when you're compelled to join unions and you're compelled to give for political causes, um, that is, uh, you know, you're you're forcing people. Uh, it's not a voluntary association. People want to present this as a voluntary association. If I'm forced to actually join a thing in order to work, mm -hmm. and I'm forced to to pay for those people's political expression um, in order to work, there's no voluntary association in that. And you know, I think the uh, you know the answer to the question is: Look, it's it's one thing if what we're talking about is uh, you know uh, people voluntary voluntarily associating. Um, that's what the First Amendment protects. It's an entirely different thing when we're talking about. Um, being compelled um, yeah. to do something. And that's fundamentally what AB5 and what the PRO Act are attempting to do is another way of trying to force people um, into uh, not just one way of working, but uh, force people into a situation where you are compelled to join a union and compelled to be able to contribute to political causes in order to be able to work. Casey Maddox, Vice President of Legal and Judicial Strategy at Americans for Prosperity, americansforprosperity.org. Uh, full disclosure, I do work with AFP. I, I never, ever, ever lie about those things. I will always let you know when I'm connected. But this story has just been, it's been growing. It's growing under the radar. And, and there's an extent to which I have fear that, you know, it's the Republican Party. I've seen them cave on weirder stuff. So I wanted to make sure I brought it to you. Find everything at TonyCats.com. Keep it here. This is Tony Katz today. It's one heck of a weekend. I mean, you got, you got Cinco de Mayo 
going on? Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. And then you got this. Get your mint juleps ready, get yourself a hat, and get yourself on a horse. So William Tell Overture, people. Honestly, a little culture. A little class. And and, and a mint julep. There you cannot you cannot go wrong. With a mint julep for uh, the Kentucky Derby, you don't, you don't have to wear the hat. You you should have the you should have the drink, people. The mint julep. You're gonna need to get yourself some Woodford Reserve, but I mean you you could do it without the Woodford if you have another bourbon that you prefer, like an old Forester or something like that. That's totally fine. You need some mint sprigs, couple sugar cubes, or a half ounce of simple syrup, two and a half ounces. Of uh, the bourbon, you throw the mint in there, and the next thing you know, you're happy as a Enjoy the derby, people. This is Tony Katz today. <laughs> 